Father, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. As we want to continue to look into your word and study your final revelation with human mind, with human understanding, we will not understand what you are saying. So help us, Lord. Help us. This morning here, we commit the whole church all around the world. Everyone, Lord. Let your hand be there upon every person. Speak to each one the way only you can do it. We come at this time of word and prayer into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in Revelation after the incredible introduction, the vision of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, the inspection begins. Okay, Sammy, that can be the title, either the inspection begins, okay. To the church, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1 onwards, right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become beery. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of the life, which is in the midst of paradise. So this is the inspection begins. And he begins with the church at Ephesus. We do not know why, but that's God's prerogative where he begins. I remember as children, as a little, little kid in the school, the dad was the principal, mom used to teach. There is this letter coming from headquarters saying that on such and such a day, the inspector of schools would come. Then that whole week was preparation for that one visit which would be just a few hours. He may just visit a couple of classes, but the whole school would be prepared for his visit. Everything, the teacher's handbook, everything had to be in order. All the students' books were checked by the teachers. Everything was up to date. The students were told on this, this day, everybody in there washed good uniform, shoes, socks, everything, best behavior. Everything the teachers would prepare the students in case the inspector comes, what questions will be asked and how you need to answer everything. And the inspector comes. 
and he goes to the class you never expect. He chooses to ask questions which you never expect. Okay, the inspector comes. So in a school, <laughs> that is the way inspection is. Here is the inspector of all inspectors. Okay. <laughs> okay. And he who walks in the midst of the lampstands. Okay, he's not inspecting anything else. The body of Christ, the church, his, his, his people. That's where. When Jesus was on the earth in John chapter 9 and verse 5, he had said this. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now he's gone. Now the light is the church. Okay, remember, it's only one entity on planet earth which has light. That is the church. In Philippians chapter 2, 15 and 16, this is what the Spirit of God says through Apostle Paul. That you may become blameless and harmless. Okay? Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay? Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So it tells us how how the church can be a light and how the work, the ministry is not in waste. That you may, may become one blameless and harmless, both blameless and harmless. Children of God, it's not talking to the others, without fault. Okay, remember that is what the word of God is supposed to do, making us without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, without fault. Where in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, so it doesn't matter how dark it gets. The question is the church shouldn't get dark. See, the darkness of the sky only shows the brightness of the stars brightness of the stars. So it, we are always worried about the darkness outside, but that's not the issue. The issue is the darkness in the church. Darkness in the church. And uh, so many things are happening in the world. Like, you know, we, I mean, it's like we do not know where it's turning. Okay, like at every field in Europe, all over, there is a resurgence of the conservative movement. But don't confuse conservative movement as church movement. These are two different. Ideals may be similar, but there is no Christ there in the con all of conservative movement. Okay, so be. But it is better to have a conservative movement than the leftist movement. So uh, there is a movement that is rising. What that movement does it? It gives you a season of peace for the gospel to be preached. Now, there is a movie that is sending shockwaves across the U.S. called Sound of Freedom. It's basically about child trafficking. It's a real story of an FBI agent who actually left his job and lost his pension to rescue one child. And the whole how these cartels are trafficking minors, both boys and girls. It's a real thing. Okay, and that's how the system is, is runs. Okay, you need to realize they only all talk nonsense. But what is happening is that is God going to take the lid off and expose how this 
whole system is built on trafficking of not just souls, bodies and souls, but bodies and souls of the children. Okay? We do not know which way it is going because things are happening, but you remember, the devil never gives up without a fight, the backlash. He will come try to shut it down. Okay? Things are, a lot of things are happening everywhere, including this country. Okay? The response of it. Let us see how it happened. But you look here, the church is called to be something and that is the responsibility. As long as he was in the world, Jesus was the light of this world. And if you look at Jesus, his entire life, especially the public ministry, he was blameless. And he was harmless. He didn't harm a fly. He was without fault. In the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. So he showed us the way. And he says, this is the way. Okay, And he held fast the word of life. Okay, he held fast. So God is showing us something. So here it is coming. God is going to examine. And if you need to realize, how does he examine? How does he examine or indict? In Revelation 1.16 and 2.16, easy to remember. 116. He had in his right hand seven stars, that is the, the pastors, the messengers. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That is the instrument of examination. It's the word of God. If you go to 216 to the, the church there, repent or else I will come to you quickly. And how will I fight you? I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Okay? So the word is how the spirit enabled word, okay? That's what what we use to fight the enemy. And God uses the same word to fight his church. To fight, he says, I will fight. This is not talking about the world. This is talking about the errors in the church. So here is the first church to be examined is the church of Ephesus, okay? Why is this written? Because in the ancient age, first stage, Almost every city had only one church. There were no denominations. There was only one church. So Ephesus has only one church where the Christians gathered. No denominations, okay? And if you look at the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, 1 and 2, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So he met this couple called Aquila and Priscilla. When you come towards 18 and to 21, Paul still remained a good while there at this place. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, for he had taken a vow. But took leave of them. Yeah, nineteen twenty twenty one. Okay, he came to Ephesus and left them there. Okay, so he came to Ephesus. This is his second missionary journey. Okay, he came to Ephesus. He left Aquila and Priscilla there. So, if you want to say who were the founders of the church or the first two believers in Ephesus, it was this couple. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. 
okay and when they asked him to say stay a longer time with them he did not consent and he left then you come to verse 24 to 26 priscilla and aquila are there paul is moved on a certain jew named apollos born at alexandria a lucan man mighty in scriptures came to ephesus this man had been instructed in the way of the lord being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately the things of the lord though he knew only the baptism of john So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately okay more accurately so we see this then if you come to chapter 20 okay the whole chapter 20 is basically in Ephesus chapter 20 we'll go towards 18 to 21 okay now paul went to ephesus if you look at him say he was there for almost 3 years he was there for 3 years i think this was the church he spent the maximum time okay maximum time now he is saying bye and he's going to jerusalem when they had he called for the elders he said you know from the first day that i came to asia in what manner i always lived among you serving the lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the jews how i kept back nothing that was helpful proclaimed it to you taught you publicly from house to house testifying to jews and also to greeks repentance from god and faith towards our lord jesus christ so the whole thing is about paul's ministry over there so if you look at it you go to first timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 you looking at the background of this church this is timothy i urged you when i went into macedonia remain in ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine if you go to second timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 yeah 12 412 for this reason 412 Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus okay so if you look at the order if you look at the order Aquila and Priscilla Apollos Paul then Titus was the bishop of uh, sorry Timothy was the bishop Tychicus and ultimately John the apostle this is not an ordinary ordinary church they have been mentored by stalwarts and ministry was not easy okay was not easy if you look at first corinthian chapter 15 and verse 2 what paul's own language what he says uh, not 212 12 32 not 232 15 32 for in that manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus he said the kind of people who were there fighting me were like animals Okay, the Jews there at okay okay and if you come to verse 16 8 and 9 chapter 16 8 and 9 i will tarry in ephesus until pentecost for a great and effective door has been 
open to me and there are many adversaries. So you get a picture of many when you're looking at first inspection of Ephesus. Why did God go to Ephesus first? Because that's where he sent all his big names. The big names were sent there. They had a heritage. You know, they had a heritage okay, of stalwarts who mentored and how. So he goes there first. So you look at the background of this church and uh, this was the they said this was the church from where uh, John was exiled. Patmos is just around 50, 60 miles away from Ephesus. So that is the church. The first inspection takes place. Okay. So it was also one of his high points of his ministry in 1911 and 17 to 20. No, Acts, Acts, Acts. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay. So, extraordinary miracles that even handkerchiefs was bringing healing and deliverance and all. Two, this is where the sons of Sceva were exposed. Ephesus. If you go, come to verse 17. Okay, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Fear fell on them, uh, on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted upon the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And the word of the Lord grew mighty and prevailed. And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia. So you need to realize there's a whole lot of history in the book of Acts about the church in Ephesus, what God did there, powerfully did there. So in his ministry, if you look, Ephesus was one of his high points. And that church loved him. Remember how he finally leaves, they all kneel down, cry and pray and bid him farewell, try to stop him, but he says, I need to go. So now, Christ is writing this letter through John, almost 35 years later. And most of the leadership is dead. John is in his 90s. Okay? And we have a lot of commendations. And a dire warning. Come to words two. Revelation two two. I know your works. Those words can be comforting or terrifying, depending upon the nature of one's works. <laughs> hmm? Remember, in the nineteen thirties, they were. Uh, I heard this story, 10 or 12 millionaires in Chicago or something, somebody played a prank, sent the same telegram to everybody saying one line, all is known. Everybody packed and left. Okay. Okay. The wicked flee when they... Okay, so Christ comes there and says, I know your works. 
in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, and then 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. Okay? There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay? Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done, these other works, in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. God basically is saying, even if you are a sanctified, truly sanctified saint like John, it's a day of terror. That's why he felt like one dead. Because of the nature of the judgment, because it is the judge and the finality of that judgment, it is eternal. Okay? So, these seven letters are important because it gives us a preview of what judgment will be like. Like, you know, when uh, when we were teachers, right? Pastor Vijay and I, when we were teachers, when we used to tell them, uh, next week or next month is exams, okay? Because our response was different, but the question was always the same. So, the syllabus. He will say whatever comes out of my mouth, okay? But uh, I would say, till the last a class where I stop. That will be the syllabus. Okay? Because God talks about judgment, God talks about judgment, everybody will stand, it is eternal judgment, everything. So, but the always concern is, how is he going to judge? What is the standard of judgment? What is going to be judged? What is the criteria of judgment? Like for any competition, when there are judges over there, there is a list given to them. This is the criteria by you judge. So if we study these seven letters, we have a preview of how judgment is going to be, individual or corporate. Basically, individual. How is going to judge? Read these seven letters. We will get a preview. Okay. So there is both... Um, commendation and indictment. So the first thing God says is, I know your works. I know your works. And then connected with your works, he says, your labor and your patience. Your labor and your patience. He reiterates it twice with this church. You come to verse 3. He reiterates and adds more. Add, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It's not a small commendation. It's a very extraordinary commendation. You have not grown weary. Remember Galatians 6, 7. Six seven. <clears throat> Do not grow weary. Do not. Yeah, six nine. Sorry. Six, nine. Do not grow weary. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. But the problem is not. The problem is with that one word, due season. Mission field is a very, very difficult, very, very difficult field. Church, mission field, home. 
these three things are very very mission field and parents in india especially pour out their lives into the lives of the children and they were turn out as nobody there's no guarantee in this so what happens is you actually do not see results because it is a spiritual battlefield the mission field itself is a battlefield it is not like a normal field okay like if you go to the let's look at a particular field as jesus describes it in luke chapter 11 chapter 11, verse 11 to 15 No, no, no. The parable of the sword. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those by, so on the ground is described, the sap people. Those by the wayside are ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So if you look at the whole category, like yesterday's message, you saw it begins with, hearing bartimus heard that was how it begins so this everybody hears here there's no even the fellow on the wait side he also hears are ones who hear then the devil take comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear so everybody cross step one they all heard <coughs> they cross step two also in this receive the word with joy and these have no root who believe for a while and in the time of temptation they fall away comes to 14 the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares riches pleasures of life and bring no fruit to it is not that they don't bring fruit but the fruits never bring much become matured so it is not edible it cannot be used a fruit cannot be used because it doesn't reach its maturity and now it comes towards 15 is the final one the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word keep it but let us wait for a minute because when we teach these parables the focus is always on the seed and on the ground the hearers but talk about the state of the sower most of his work is waste nothing comes out of it nothing comes out of it okay of that one fourth also again take that one fourth like 25% you have to divide them into three categories okay so i don't know pastor vijay can give you a mathematics out of it huh? one by 12 only produces something worth in the kingdom so we are we are always focused because we are focused on ourselves we are focused on the word and we are focused on the field which is mankind but we don't look at the missionary the first missionary was jesus christ he was sent by the father okay the fruit that is produced okay so mission ground is very difficult it's very difficult it's not a easy it's a easy field it's a very very difficult field and this church has labored okay on top of that okay on top of what the devil is doing he's the one who is fellow behind the scenes creating all this havoc matthew 13 25 okay 
while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat now this fellow <laughs> this fellow is a trouble maker on top of that he will also sow his seed also among first he is working havoc with the seed the sower has sown then on top of that is sowing his seed among so you need to that is why wherever paul goes there are trouble makers Okay, there are troublemakers. Okay, so you need to understand why the church is commended, why the church in Ephesus is commended. Okay, in verse two and three, you have not grown weary. Okay, this is a church that worked. Okay. their attitude their motivation was actually right it was not for self they had labored for his name sick okay they had labored for his name sick this is a very good motivation okay very a lot of people even in the church are working for their name sake and when nothing happens they quietly sit go to the back and sit or they quietly leave cause no because but this is one of the so god is telling us how do you persevere how do you persevere what is the secret of persevering till the end you work for another's name sake another's name sake Okay, so you will see Joseph in four fields. Four fields he works. In the first field, he is working for his father's namesake, and that's why he has an issue with his brothers. In the second field, he is working for Potiphar's namesake, and then in the prison, the same. And finally, it comes to Pharaoh's namesake. Okay, so God tells us a secret. If you are working for yourself, either you don't get it or you get it, you will quit. You will quit. Okay, you will quit. So we need to understand why is that? Lot of people will never finish their race. Why is that they don't finish the race? What is the reason? What is the motivating factor? What was Paul's motivating factor in his old age? At the end, also he will say, "King Agrippa, I was faithful to that heavenly vision. I was faithful." Why is that? Some people keep running, keep running, and they never quit. The reason is the secret behind their motivation. They are not working for a name; they are working for somebody else's name. That is Christ. Okay. and not only that they have endured in the midst of terrible persecution ephesus was a gentile city okay it was one of the most prominent cities in asia minor where uh, if we know uh, the story of what happened over there you know what the diana was a chief yes. goddess and all of them we will we'll go over there and look at it what uh, chapter 19 acts after 9 it's very interesting because this is the same thing that is being replayed over and nothing has changed okay this is chapter 19 okay verse 24 onwards there is always one trouble maker who will get all the others together mm-hmm. for a certain man named demetrius 
a silversmith who made silver shrines to Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we, we have prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You need to understand, no, this has been true till today. Because religion is one of the biggest businesses in the world. Okay, biggest businesses where one set of people literally is trying to get people to buy their way to heaven. See, that is why you need to understand this is this is all connected. Religion, industry, and politics. They're all connected. That's Babylon. They're all interconnected. Okay, they all live off each other. And the gospel is a hostile news for that, that this is a God who gives freely. Salvation is free. Okay. The gospel is a very, 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 very dangerous news to Babylon. The gospel. Because what happens is, if you come to religion, religion will shut shop. What do you do with religion? You don't really deal in religion anymore. What do you do with religion? And there is no coercion in an actual church like ours. There is no coercion. You freely give. Nobody is going to check whether you gave your tithes or offerings or nobody is bothered about it. This is between you and God. We don't even want to know your names. Don't even write your names on the covers. Consistently for 15 years. Don't want to know. Until this online thing came which I dislike because you get to know their names. You don't have to. Church doesn't have to know doesn't have to know because ultimately it is between you and God. There is no coercion about this at all. Imagine the gospel gets into politics. What is the gospel when it comes to political? It is servant leadership. Then what will all the leaders do? What will all the leaders do? Okay, let us look like... Uh, Two politicians into the oldest democracy, America, largest democracy, India. Two politicians have put a spanner into the works. First one was Trump. He doesn't need anybody's donation because he has his own money, so he can't be bought. So that was the problem. How do you buy this guy? Because every politician is bought because you have to fund there. He says, I don't need funding. So he cannot be bought. If he cannot be bought, he cannot be bribed. Then another young man comes, walks from one India to the other end of the India. He's a very simple commoner, like with everybody he's the same. Then that puts the spanner among the works for all the leaders who want to be idolized. So from there till today, you need to realize there is this power of truth. There is power of truth. Each of these people may be emulating certain parts of the gospel. But it itself has its power. Like Gandhi comes here, goes to South Africa, sees the apartheid movement. He picks up the truth from the gospel. If anyone slaps on you on one cheek, turn the other side. 
active non-violence. Nowhere else except in the Bible. He turns the British Tower upside down. They pack up and leave. Every time there was violence, he stopped. No violence. Okay, so you need to realize the gospel is the power of God unto salvation in any realm. Any realm. Can you imagine what would happen to industry? <coughs> Read the accounts of the Welsh revival. When the Welsh revival took place, industry shut down. There were no more bars, no more theatres, no more cinema. Everything shut down because there were no more customers. There were no more customers. That's why they hate. There were no more customers. Can you imagine, just imagine, in the next seven days, the Holy Spirit moves across Hyderabad and all the 10 million people are saved and sanctified. Do you know what happened to the system? So many people will be out of jobs because their jobs are run on sin and evil. Run on sin and evil. That all will shut down. All will shut down. Okay, And a different kind of economy will happen, which is a righteous economy, which is the model on which God was trying to build Israel. He says, you don't have to slave like you did it in Egypt. I will send you seasons of rain. In its season, rain will come. You all work hard. You live like this. You glorify. Don't, don't do, do these things. Do, do, do these things. You never have to worry about it. You can take a year off. Year off. Okay, that's where we have the word sabbatical. A lot of people don't even understand what sabbatical is, where it came from, but they apply and get a sabbatical. <laughs> okay. So you need to understand when God is talking to the, this, why is there is so much opposition to the to the gospel? Like we had a few months back, Ashbury, that revival, the system shut it down very fast because they did not want it. Why did they shut it down? Because it didn't happen in the street. It happened in the university, which is the fodder of the Democratic Party. The leftists all around the world, the leftists focus on the universities. That is where they get the young people. If revival takes place in the universities, their goose is cooked. Imagine all of India has around 60% of India's population are young. Imagine the young people get saved. The politicians have nothing to do because they are the second two generations. Do you know why conservatism still survives in countries like America? Because the people live to a very old age. That's the reason. Their life expectancy is very high and the old people still are conservative. So they are still be able to manage the voting. But in a place where life expectancy is low and the young people are all radicals, automatically the country will go haywire. So when the revival took place in the university, they immediately shut it down and gave say no more permission. And used many legal reasons as to why. So you need to understand where all these things are coming from. It was in the middle of all this. Jesus is commending them and saying, you know what? I know your labor. I know your labor. Second thing, <coughs> yeah. And, yeah, verse 2 and 3. I know your labor. I know your works, your labor, and your patience. And your patience. Okay? 
Okay, because there are a lot of people who labor, but they don't have patience. That's why God has given the children naturally to the mothers and not to the fathers. And tell the fathers, I know you are impatient, so go and work it out outside. Let the children be with the mothers who have a lot of patience. Okay, but it's a general rule. It's not because I've seen lots of mothers who have no patience with their children and lots of men who have lots of patience with their children. So it's a general rule, I'm telling you. It's a general rule. Mothers are created by God in that nature with a lot of patience. They put up <coughs> because mothers have to put up uh, with the junk from the husband and also with the children. They have to put up with and God has given them that kind of patience. But in the modern realm, when uh, actually what happened is when the women went to go work outside, they lost their patience. Then they have no more time or patience for the children because that's what the work spirit does. They don't have patience. They lost it. That's how the devil systematically destroyed the humanity, the culture, the society in the last days. So he commends them. He says, you know what? I know your works, your labor, your patience. I know your patience. And not only that, we use that three words, right? Patience, perseverance, and endurance. You have persevered and have patience. And have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Okay? Okay. Like I said, you have to be very careful about how he writes these things because that's why I said this is the inspection. So when he's inspecting, he's giving a preview of how we all will be inspected. Because every virtue can actually stand on its own. But it has no meaning. Unless it is attached to the right person. That is God. Truth. Truth. Loyalty. Righteousness. All these things the mafia also wants in their group. The politician wants with his group. Everybody wants all these things. But they don't want it in the, on, the, on the other side. So these things can all stand on its own and is worth nothing. Unless you connect it to God. Because all virtue flows from Him. What the world does it, they take God out of the picture. Word of the picture. Okay? Word of the picture. Because all the battles going around in the world is based on rights. On rights. Okay? On rights. The question is human right. The question is who gave humans rights? Okay, humans. Because these are these were questions I I used to ask children. Okay, when children had issues with their parents, and oh no, my father didn't do this, my mother didn't do this, and this thing. That's why I'm angry with God. And I said, said, okay, let us take God out of the picture. Okay, let's take God out of the picture. You are angry with God. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to pray. And you're very angry with your father and your mother. I said, you take God out of the picture. What does your father have to do for you? What does your mother have to do for you? Nothing. Send you to that government school. Eat the midday lunch and study whichever way you want. They don't have to do anything. Then government becomes your God. They owe you nothing. Do you know why you still say my dad did not do anything for you? Because God has said, 
this is what your father should do for you. And you are taking God out of the picture, you have no rights. You have no rights. Every right comes from God. Every right from, that's why Saturday's Q&A, when wife, some wife was sent this question from whichever country, talking about the husband and this thing. I said, you know what? These are paradigms. If you don't have a paradigm, then you cannot relate to it. I said, take Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. First Peter chapter 3 and a few verses, Genesis 2, 8, 28 or 18 or something and this out. You cannot, you will not complain about your husband or your wife because there is no paradigm. So you will see these complaints you will never see arising in Muslim families or Hindu families or Buddhist families. Nobody will say these questions. The reason they don't have a paradigm. If they have a paradigm, let us look, let's look at it because this is where we have to study a scripture that what God has revealed to us is about Himself. <clears throat> and that is from where we come from. So we no longer look at rights, we look at responsibilities. Because let us look at a Hindu. What is a Hindu woman going to say? She goes into her entire culture of her history, of her scriptures or her Puranas or whatever story she goes, she has nothing to fall back on. Because all these men seems to have five wives and six wives and they did whatever they wanted. Who are the best of the best? Think about who are the best. Who is their icon? The Krishna, if you want to look at it, he's always with other men's wives. So if your husband is with another man's wife, you will say, okay, Krishna also did it. That's what he says. That's my paradigm. Why are you shouting at me? Uttam Purush is Yudhishthira among the Pandavas. What does he do? He gambles the wife away. And the fellow who gets her starts stripping her and his helpless doesn't do anything. So when the Prime Minister is quiet for 79 days because two women were stripped, you need to know what is his paradigm. What is his paradigm? Where is he coming from? So we need to understand our God is absolutely, totally different. Or a Muslim man and his wife is completely different. You read the Quran, the woman is like a chattel over there. The rights she has is only what the man gives her. Beat her if you want. Whip her if you want. So where does your paradigm come from? It comes from our God. It comes from our God. Okay? Even why did, why did Sita leave Rama and take the twins and go? Because she lived such a pure holy life in a demonic realm called with Ravana. And when she came back, because the washerman made her come in, he said she has to go through the fire to prove herself she is pure. And she did, came out pure and she left him. This is our paradigms. These are our paradigms, everybody. You go to the Greek myths, you go to the Roman myths, you go to the Egyptian, Scandinavian, they have no paradigm. So we talk about child trafficking and fear of failure. That was their paradigm. Who is the only one who fights against it? It's the God of the Bible who, who values children. When we fight against abortion, no system has problem with abortion. Only our God because he says, I am the God of life. So you need to realize why the gospel is a threat 
to the entire Babylonian system of every religion. Every religion. What is a Buddhist man going to, with this woman going to say, why don't you come to my home? You come only so late. You come two days late. He says, you know, my founder left his family in search of truth. I am also searching for truth. What does he say? Siddhartha left his wife and his children and went. He never went back. So what are their paradigms? You need to ask. That is how the system works. So we are a different set of people because our God is... When people say all religions are the same and Christianity is not true. A religion is defined by its God. And our God is absolutely different. And that God is coming there and commending this church by saying that, you know, I know your works. Your labor and your patience. And the thing is that you have persevered and have patience because you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Because if you take that my name's sake, everything is found in the world. There are people who will persevere and labor and never, never give up for a secular career. These are all neutral terms. Patience and perseverance and not growing weary and all. Pastor Bidget talks about 72 hours in the lab. Wasn't he patient? Was he persevering? Did he grow weary? No. And he said, Eureka. But what happened to it? Because he was doing it for his own namesake, it lost its value. It becomes just like they say in English, dust in your mouth. It has no value. It's gone. It's a temporary joy because the achievement was temporal. But anything that is done for his namesake, he says, even if you give a cup of water for my namesake, the value is eternal. It moves into eternity because you brought me, me into the picture. That is what we are talking about. Unless Christ comes into the picture, it has no, it has no meaning. It has no meaning. So this is an incredibly patient, persevering, enduring church because they never grew weary. And then they are a busy church, not a lazy church. There are a lot of lazy churches. They are not a lazy church. They are an extremely busy church. So the first thing when God comes and says, I know your works, your labor. You are a very busy church. Second, you are a patient, persevering, enduring church. Then you come to church. Verse 2, there. You cannot bear those who are evil. They are a non-compromising church. Okay, evil is a very strong word in the Bible. It is not that you cannot bear sinners. Then there will be nobody in the church. Nobody, the empty church. It's a very easy church to minister because there's nobody there. Because even the pastor is out. It's an empty hall. <laughs> okay. But the word that is used is not sin. It is evil. They are, they are extremely, extremely cautious. Then basically God is saying that your leadership was very, very mature. Reason? They fed the congregation meat and not milk. Milk. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. I have noticed that most churches that are very large nicely give milk, water down milk. For 
though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Meaning, what does it mean? Though they have been an imputed righteousness, they will never grow in righteousness. Why? Because milk cannot do for you. You can take any baby and for the next 20 years give the baby milk alone, they will not be able to fight. They may have strong bones, but they have weak muscles. Weak muscles. They cannot fight. They cannot do anything. They will be very, very weak. When the pressures of life come, when the struggles, the trials of all these things comes happen, you know what? They fall apart. They are not able to. If you look at the problems, like, you know, our normal church, I'm not talking about the persecuted underground church, they are strong. I'm talking about, we look at the problems over which we are like, tensed about, we will realize actually we have no strength. We have no strength. People have no strength. Because we, we, I mean, look at what's happening in Manipur. <laughs> Ask if what happened in, it, this is all a part of a plan. We've got the seven jewels of uh, of Northeast. The big one being Assam is safe, Hindu majority. All the others are there. Of Manipur is divided 50-50. So they want to do a program over there to get rid of the Christians. That is the whole agenda because Mekhalaya, all these places, Christianity is maximum or spreading even more. So this state. But the question is not about what is happening. As far the church is concerned, we are good. We will pray. We will worship. We will come through all this. Church has gone through this for 2,000 years. But the question to be asked is, what about the leadership in Mekhalaya, Nagaland, and the other states who are ruling those states along with the central government. What are you talking when your Christian brothers are being attacked at this day? Why are you all keeping? We are talking about the silence of the PM. I'm not bothered. He will be silent. That's his paradigm. I am concerned about the silence of the Christian CMs. Why are they silent? Because you have eaten from that same plate. You've been compromised by Babylon. That's why you are quiet. That's why you are quiet. So this is what God is talking about. These things are right there in the in our friend. Because this was a church that refused to compromise on evil. Because what is happening in Manipur, it doesn't matter which community to take religion out. What is happening there is evil. What is happening there is pure evil. Evil. It's got nothing to do with Christian or Hindu. It is evil that is taking place over there. And the question is, in the face of evil, a lot of people who are Christians are keeping quiet because they are power. They compromise for power. And God says, you know what? Solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by the reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you need to realize this is a very mature church. The leadership is very, very mature. They have discernment. They have discernment to discern between what is good and evil. They don't just randomly uh, pick people in the church and put them in places of leadership. They are very, very careful 
and Paul had warned them about this, about what will happen. They, they have gone through what you would say. The one of the things you do is Acts chapter seventeen, verse ten and eleven. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is an incredible church. And saying this were better than them. In that, in one area, what is that? They received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What is the reason you need to understand? In the first century, it is not like today, okay? It's not like today. There is no, no mail, no phones, nothing, okay? So you need to understand. News will reach only if some traveler passes by. So there are lots of itinerant preachers who are traveling preachers and many call themselves apostles. Okay? Now I'm honestly telling you. Okay, honestly telling you, you go to some of the countries like Bhutan or Sikkim or Nepal, state Sikkim or some of the places in Nepal and all, let us say, Pastor Vijay goes, he goes to a church and they ask him, oh, you are, where are you from? I am from India. Which city are from? Hyderabad, oh, which church? GDC. And they will say, preach. If you are from GDC, preach. Just by my name. So a lot of people will go, oh, we are come from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, big church. Oh, Apostle James Church. Please preach. This is what happens. This is what. So a lot of preachers are traveling. Among them, lots of fake ones are there. Fake ones are there. This is what the Bible is. That is how you have to test in First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 9, 29 within the church. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Okay, This is not judging the person like we said on Saturday. We are not judging people. We are called to judge the doctrine. Yeah, called to judge doctrine. No? Like I used the example. Your mother gives you a plate of rice and then you start taking the first mouthful and you find two cockroaches there and you run to your mother. Didn't you judge your mother? You didn't judge your mother. You just judged her cooking. Mama, there is cockroach over it. Mama will look, oh, how did it happen? No, honey, don't eat it at all. Throw it away. Okay? So we are not judging the person. We are judging their doctor. But if the child says, you are a terrible cook, you never learned how to cook, then you are judging the mother. Okay? So this is the question. The question is, doctrine always has to be judged because doctrine is the food of the believer's soul. So let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. If you go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, 21 and 22, same thing is written over there. Test all things, hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. But how can you test? Unless you have been fed meat. So you have discernment between what is good and evil. How can you test? How can you test? You know, if you go to some places in Calcutta where all the tea is exported and all, there are, there are people over there. They are paid a fortune every month. You know what their job is? Tasty. 
Thought. The job they tea tasters, and they will tell you which tea is from the finest plantation. That's their job. In the same way in Europe, you have wine tasters. They are professionals. One touch, they will tell you where, 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 good, how many years old, whether it's, and the price is rated by them. Okay? So that's what the Bible is saying. Test all things. But to test, you can't be a baby who's fed on milk. Because the baby cannot test anything. That is why we use illustrations with babies. Give the baby, like still September 23rd anyway, a 2000 rupee note or a 1 rupee balloon. It will go for the balloon. Because the baby doesn't know with this note, I can buy 2,000 balloons. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how to test. You know, how to test. Yesterday, Pastor Vijay said, never let a child pick his or her clothes. Why? Blink, 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 blink. They will, if you allow a child to pick clothes, it will pick the most atrocious clothes. If you allow the child to prescribe the diet, it will be eating ice cream, morning, lunch and dinner. And chips. Okay, but basically that's what the system is doing. Why is the system around in the Western world saying that if a child wants to move from one gender to another gender, it doesn't need parental permission? Do we see this agenda, what the Bible has been warning for 2,000 years, all flowing into the system? Why has this come become so vocal and forcibly pushed down the throat by governments today? You know why? Because the church has been feeding their congregation milk and not meat. If the church had been feeding meat, governments in the West would never dare to bring this thing. So the fault always, that's why God is not inspecting governments. He's not inspecting courts. He's not inspecting any government office. He says, I am walking in the midst of the lampstands. Because you are the only light in the world. Nothing else. Nobody else. So that's what the Bible is talking about. So you need to realize this was the pattern in the old age. Old age, because you know what? So many churches are there. So many churches are there. You know what? Even in the city, so many churches are there. They don't have network or anything like that, you know? And if they hear a preacher, they'll always say, can you come to my house, my church also, and preach? Looking for somebody to come and preach. But they may have heard only one sermon. And that sermon for once may have been doctrinally correct when the person is actually doctrinally totally wrong. Okay, This is the danger that happens. This is the danger that happens. So you need to realize the name matters. If you have a doubt, go to Galatians chapter 2, 11 and 12. When Peter had come to Antioch, <coughs> I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with these Gentiles. Wait a minute. We would say before some certain men came from Jerusalem. No. Many people come from Jerusalem and pass through Antioch. But these people came from James. The association with that name. Association with that name. Then Peter and Barnabas also were swayed. Because these people were associated with James. 
associated with James. You need to understand why this church is being commented because they said, you should start. It didn't matter if people came from James also, you tested them out. Oh, we are so glad you came from James. God bless you. But can you tell us what your doctrine is? What do you, what do you believe? What do you believe? What is your doctrine? Okay. They were extremely, extremely, if you look at, if you go back to that portion. Yeah. Yeah. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Why? Apostles are connected with doctrine. That's how the church began. They gathered daily, steadfastly for the apostles' doctrine. So apostle is very important position in the church. Prophet has been moved to number two in the new covenant. The prophet was one in the old covenant. But prophet became two in the new covenant. Apostle becomes one. Why? Because he sets the foundation for the church. So a lot of people, even today, there are so many people floating around and they use the term apostle. And if you look, they are setting doctrine. Why has people gone this way? Because so many people calling themselves apostles and taught and said, this is a new revelation. I heard personally from Jesus. And before you know, a denomination has grown because it has become apostolic doctrine. Doctrine is the realm of apostles. And it says, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So the question is, what a church it is that they test apostles. Okay, so it's a fantastic church, church in Ephesus. Okay, I mean, Somebody comes from Jerusalem and he says, Who are you? No, I am Apostle so and so. Um, I've come from James. And he told me when you pass by Ephesus, meet the church leaders there and preach. And the leaders say that, but Apostle Paul, our founder, has warned us after I am gone. Wolves will arise. He has warned us. He has given us a warning. So, sir, if you are an apostle, God bless you. We have some very simple questions to ask. Would you pass this test? Okay, you need to realize, when I go to these places, like many countries, and I do this, pastors, congregation, I'm always gentle. Pastors, I will ask them, do you know Psalm 138 verse 2? I said, I'm not saying you need to memorize and remember it. You read it and tell me, do you know that? You read it and tell me, has your mind focused on that? And they, look at they say, Pastor Baba, we are seeing this for the first time. I said, what does it say? It says, I have magnified my word above all my name. Everybody is serving in his name, right? But do you know he has magnified something above his name? That is his word. So you need to ask, I need to ask, doesn't matter what people feel or think, am I true to the word? Am I true to the word? Am I true to the word? Because we are preachers. We are not congregation, we are preachers. So brethren, many of you should not become teachers because you will be judged very strictly. Why are you true to the word, to the text? Second thing I ask them is, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Have you read it? 
Yeah, I read it. So read it once again. Okay. What is it? Elementary doctrines. Six elementary doctrines. Repentance from dead works. Not works that lead to death, but dead works. Faith towards God. Doctrine of baptism. Laying of hands. Resurrection of the dead. And eternal. These are fundamental. Have you taught your church? I didn't even know this was there. So the apostle comes from Jerusalem. Apostle Jude has come from Jerusalem. Not the Jude in the Bible, another Jude. He comes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I'm apostle. I've come from, not Nigeria, from Jerusalem. <laughs> Plenty. Nigeria is full of apostles. Now. Okay. And prophets. Okay, There are no ordinary people in Nigeria at all. Only prophets and apostles. And the two ordinary people were in our midst, Peter and Sam. The rest are all apostles. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> One was an apostle, other was a prophet. Okay. Imagine such a person comes, such a person comes to that church and the church will ask them questions. You tested those who say they are apostles and are not. How did they know? Because they were mature in doctrine. They were mature in doctrine. Mature in doctrine. And they could test them and know that the doctrinally they were in no, no, these are not apostles. These are not apostles. And found them to be liars. This is what the Bible because Paul, you know that Paul had warned them in the book of Acts twenty, you will see. Okay, and John also had warned them. Acts twenty, you can read that twenty nine to thirty two. I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw what? Disciples after themselves. Therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. Now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So he had warned them. And Christ is commending, okay, you stuck to your teacher's warning, your apostles, your founder's warning, you kept it all. Look at one more verse, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's so even spirits have to be tested. The spirit of the prophet has to be tested. By what spirit is he prophesying? Whether they, Because there are democrats on public media prophesying and speaking in tongues. For transgender and abortion movement. So what spirit are they using? What spirit are they using? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. To this testing, you have tested. He commends a church that tested and kept those who were uh, false outside. Then in 2.6, another group is mentioned. 2.6, Revelation 2.6. Okay. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay. This is another gr group that also there, that is who perverted uh, the doctrine of grace. 
Okay, if you turn to Acts chapter 6, 5, this is assumption. We are not very sure when the seven people were selected to take care of the issue in the first century, first church in Jerusalem. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, a convert from Antioch. So the, among this original group, there was a convert from Antioch. His name was Nicholas. Later they say he broke away and he became apostate. And he brought this doctrine which is called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Okay, now you need to realize it was a very powerful doctrine which appealed to the flesh of people because Nicholas, Nike, all means the same word which means overcome. So, Nicholas means overcomer of people. Overcomer. So, it is the doctrine that's, that's why you will see certain new doctrines will come and before you know it has swept from coast to coast. What is the power behind this doctrine? Which was never heard for thousands of years. Something new, a person stands up and says, hyper grace, brazen grace, all this grace people will come. And you will wonder, what is happening over here? Because you know, this has got to do with grace. It's got to do with grace. Jude chapter 1 and verse 4. Jude wants all the warnings are put over there. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and deny our, deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These people crept in. And what are they turning? They are turning the grace into sanction. That is Nicolaitans. And God says, you know what? I commend you. I commend you. You dealt with all these issues. You have dealt with all these issues. So none of these groups lasted long in Ephesus. And they were right royally shown the door. And it is not an easy feat. It's a very difficult thing when you are the only church in the city. In a hostile Gentile environment ruled over by a tyrannical Roman Empire. Okay, But you need to realize this is what they did. They kept the balance. They kept legalism out. They kept hyper grace out. Hyper truth out. They kept all these things out. Why? Because you are dealing with the immortal souls of men and women. For whom Jesus died. And what is at stake? It's not a career. It is eternity. That is why the commendation is repeated twice over there. And then comes the terrible words. Verse 4. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. I have this against you. That we shall keep for Friday. What God has against us. Because if I go to this now, people will forget the entire thing that was taught before and will focus on the indictment. So today, sour the commendation. <laughs> Friday, we shall get into the indictment.
but you will see nothing has changed in 2000 years the ways and the methods of the enemy and the structures of god is still the same the commendation and the structures that's why those seven letters see people focus on chapter 4 onwards on to tribulation what is coming leave that alone focus on these seven letters it gives us very clear directions on how judgment is going to take place now it is like a student knowing his syllabus he reads all around the world is full of gk and fails in his exam there's lots of students like they know everything under the heaven except what is in the syllabus they never read their syllabus and said you need to be let's we always used to say even as you occur be exam oriented be exam that is why these chaitanya narayana do well because they are not dispensing knowledge they are exam oriented they test oriented they test after test after test how their students do ultimately i do not know in life but they are exam oriented exam oriented Okay, in the same way, God is talking about you know what? As you acquire all these virtues and all, be exam-oriented. I'm telling you the syllabus, and the first church is one of the best churches of Apostle Paul. And such a leadership, Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, mighty speaker he is. Paul, Titus, no Timothy, Tychicus, then uh, finally John. Imagine the leadership that mentored this church, but it's no longer there, and the indictment that comes against that church. Okay, so we have to realize. Don't misunderstand. This is not the losing of your salvation. Okay, the worst thing that can happen in life is not to be saved. The second worst thing that can happen in life is being saved and losing your rewards. eternity i do not know how true it is but i have heard about people saying like you no know, when we talk about hell and darkness and outer darkness hell is not the same lake of fire is not the same different levels of suffering or water banishment the same is true about heaven too there are people who live millions who live in gray areas because they had no rewards meaning eternally your capacity to enjoy god is diminished in his right hand are it joy and pleasures that is diminished that is diminished eternally and that's why the bible says it is appointed unto every man to die once and then it is judgment and hebrews 6 says that judgment is eternal judgment that is why we have to take these things seriously very very seriously Shall let's have Peter, and then we shall pray. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, 
Lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where Thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed, guard as the white Thou's left. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let me, like Mary, through the gloom, come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for Thee. Even Thy cup of grief to share, Thou hast borne all for me. Thank you, Lord. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Like the questions that were coming about. Gray is just a, it's a word, just, it's just a shade. It's just a shade. Light also has different shades. And God is absolute light. And we cannot dwell in that light. So you see Revelation 21 and 22, you see heavens and you see the city coming down. You see earth. And you see the nations of the earth. The simple question to ask is, who are living on earth? Who are the people in the earth? And we know natural justice. It is not fair that everybody is rewarded the same way when everybody's works were different. Yeah. Okay. In the same way, everybody is punished the same way yeah. when their works also were different. So whether it is hell or eternity in heaven, the rewards will determine your position. Mm. Rewards will determine your mm, position. Mm. And because God is light, 
it is shown as where we will be. And if you put Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1, which is talking about there, no? Now I say that heir. Who is the heir? The heir to the inheritance God has kept for us, untouched, incorruptible, pure. That is, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Positionally, he is master, he is God's child. But he never grew, he never matured. Mm. So when he reaches eternity, he cannot be given anything the Father had for him. Mm. So that's what. So he will be living in the gray shadows. Mm. Shadows. Okay, in the same way, like, no, that's how it works. That's how it works. No, we are not talking about that. This is the judgment of the believers. Mm -hmm. The judgment of the believers is connected with rewards. Okay, connected with rewards. The judgment of the unbelievers is connected with punishments. The level of punishment is not the same. It cannot be same because it God from whom justice comes will not break the basic principle of justice. So both is there, whether it is rewards or whether it is punishment. So that's where, that's why if you don't keep eternity into perspective, how we run, how we face our trials, our tests, everything will change. When you look at eternity, then it is his namesake. If you take your eyes of eternity, it becomes your sake. And when people react to their situation, you will know where their eyes are. You will know. And God is using that situation to say that, you know what? You're focused on yourself. It's not about me. Mm. And as long as focused about yourself, you, you, you will not finish your race. You will be disqualified. Mm. You will lose your rewards. Okay. You will lose your rewards. Until we become consistent. And that's why he's commending this church. Extreme odds. You persevered. You were patient. And you did not grow weary. Meaning you continue doing what we are called to do. You were a busy, testifying, witnessing, careful church. Nevertheless, and that indictment Friday is very severe. Very, very severe that you can do all this and still lose all your rewards. All your rewards. Yes, we shall pray. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. We are coming to you, Father. A lot of people listening overseas, everyone, so many churches, underground churches listening, going through their tribulation, their trials, but you are the same God. The same God who visited John in the island of Patmos and gave him this letter to write. And you are telling everyone out there, do not grow weary. I know your works. Thank you, Lord. It's a word of comfort to the persecuted church to say, I know nothing has missed my eyes. I see your struggle, Hannah. I see your struggle in that wheelchair taking care of those 50 children. I see your works. I see your labor. I see your patience. I see your perseverance. You haven't given up after all these years. In spite of the horror that has happened in your life over and over and over and over again. Any normal person would have quit. You didn't. Make Sarah children. Your children. But you have shown resilience. And God is telling many of you today. I know your words. I know. I know your works. Rest assured, it will be rewarded. Eternally. We 
Behold I come quickly is what he says and my rewards are in my hand. Stay the course. Do not grow weary in well doing. Yes, many times you have felt like quitting. The truth is you never did. You never did. All around the world there are churches listening now. God's commendation is for you. His exhortation is for you. Do not grow weary in well doing. In due season, the season is coming. The season of exaltation, the season of rewards, the season of being lifted by God and seated with Christ in the heavenly places forever. That season is coming when the first will become the last. And the last will become the first. Those who are oppressed and spat upon and tormented and tortured and killed will sit to reign with Jesus. Blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection is what he says. Set your face like a flint towards the heavenly Jerusalem. For our redemption draweth nigh. We just thank you Pray for our children, all our children, spiritual and our own children. All our children will be delivered, set free. And they will know you and they will walk with you and they will serve you alone, O Father. That's our prayer and our confession, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Come in this day, rest of the day, this week into the hands. Go with us. Go before us, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Once again, we stand and we declare, Thine is the kingdom. Power. power and the glory forever, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Amen.